Innalhamdalillah Nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'ufiruhu Wa na'udhu billahi min syururi anfusina wa siyyati a'malina Man yahdihillahu falamudullalah Wa man yudlil falahadiyalah Wa ashadu an la ilaha illallahu wahdahu la sharika lah Wa ashadu anna muhammadan abduhu wa rasuluh Amma ba'd so carrying on then with a guide to sound creed al-irshad ila sahih al-i'tiqad we're in the opening section talking about tawheed al-rububiyyah and the last thing we had discussed was the fact that the opposers to the prophets and the messengers did not oppose them due to this aspect of Tawheed. And there's been very few people throughout history who in reality reject Tawheed al-Rububiyyah. Even those who did, then it was arrogance from them and haughtiness. And in of themselves, they understood and they believed and they knew. Like the example of Pharaoh, so there are very few who in reality reject this. As Sheikh Al-Fawzan goes on to mention, فَتَارَةً يَقُولُونَ Sometimes they say, هَذَا الْعَالَمُ وُجِدَ نَتِيجَةً لِلطَّبِيعَةِ الَّتِي هِيَ عِبَارَةً عَنْ ذَاتِ الْأَشْيَاءِ من النباتات والحيوان والجمادات فهذه الكائنات عندهم هي الطبيعة وهي التي أوجدت نفسها So sometimes from amongst their arguments that they try to utilize they may say that all of this world, it came into existence by nature. It is something that occurred through natural causes. Nature created all of this. So the plants and the animals and the the inanimate objects, all of this, what you see in the world, a consequence of the nature. What's the word they use? That it is natural, it is mother nature. Nature. So the first argument or one of the arguments they may come up with is that all of it is just mother nature. All of it is just naturally occurring. Everything in this world that you see, it is all just from nature that it's occurred itself. Or they may say, يَقُولُونَ هِيَ عِبَارَةٌ عن صفات الأشياء وخصائصها من حرارة وبرودة ورطوبة ويبوسة وملاسة وخشونة 
وهذه القابليات من حركة وسكون والنمو وتزاوج وتوالد هذه الصفات وهذه القابليات هي الطبيعة بزعمهم وهي التي أوجدت الأشياء So they may say that all of this world it is basically a set of descriptions or attributes from heat and cold and moisture and dryness, softness, roughness, all of these various descriptions and attributes that exist. And then they go on and talk about marriage and reproduction. That all of these things again really in their nature have just occurred and created themselves due to these descriptions being present, these attributes being present. So again, they want to deny the existence of a creator and they'll say again, it's like the nature and these various descriptions and attributes, heat and cold and softness, roughness, moisture, dryness, that the various things they come into play and everything came into existence. وَهَذَا قَوْلٌ بَاطِلٌ عَلَى كِلَ الْعِتِبَارَيْنِ And this is again a false statement of theirs. So the point in this section being that there are very few people in reality who reject al-rububiyyah. Very few people who reject the Lordship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Those that do, they bring about some of their explanations, they bring about some of their deductions from their intellect as to explain or how to explain this world. So many of them, they'll say it's because of nature or where they go back and start talking about the Big Bang and various elements that existed, these various components and elements that exist in nature and they come together and they create things. So they'll give their various attempts at explaining how this world was created but the reality is that al-rububiyyah it is not something that can be denied the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the existence of a creator and the shaykh he mentions it here that some of them they say inna hadhi al-kainat that this creation it all comes about because of like they say the big bang that everything it collides and unites and the elements come together and all of that creates what it creates والجزئيات عن طريق المصادفة يؤدي إلى ظهور الحياة بلا تدبير من خالق مدبر ولا حكمة. So they say all of these elements and components they all come together, they collide, they unite, they create other substances without any creator, without anyone controlling or arranging these things. That they all the atoms and everything else. 
they come together, they just create themselves. And then they create other items and other entities, other components. Then again the Shaykh says, وَهَذَا قَوْلٌ This is also a completely false statement. تَرُدُّهُ الْعُقُولُ وَالْفِطَرُ that the intellects and the innate nature of a person would reject this. فَإِنَّكَ إِذَا نَظَرْتَ إِلَى هَذَا الْكَوْنِ الْمُنَظِّمْ بِأَفْلَاكِهِ وَأَرْضِهِ وَسَمَائِهِ وَسَيْرِ الْمَخْلُوقَاتِ فِيهِ بِهَذِهِ الدِّقَّةِ وَالتَّنْظِيمِ الْعَجِيبِ تَبَيَّنَ لَكَ أَنَّهُ لَا يُمْكِنَ يَصْدُرْ إِلَّا عِنْ خَالِقٍ حَكِيمٍ So the reality is when you look at everything in the world, how it exists in its perfection, in its precision, how it all interlocks with each other, how it all falls into place perfectly, how it's all arranged, the heavens and the earth, the stars and everything, how it moves and how it works together, then you would clearly understand that this is not something that just happened by chance. It is not something that happened by chance. It is indeed something that happened because there is a creator who created it all. Any questions on that section? Al-Mulamasa. Mulasa wa khushuna. It's typically the words would indicate softness and roughness. What do they say there? Roughness. Hmm. The two words together. What do they say? Huh? Smoothness and roughness. That's what we said. Anything else? Khushuna roughness. Yeah. Smoothness and roughness. About? All of this, what they mention about the various theories, the Big Bang theory, and all these other theories, that's what they are. They are theories, and they are not correct. We know what is correct is that there is a creator. So all of this, what they may teach you and what's in the books, they are their theories. You can see them and you read them and they teach you to them as theories that is all they are they are not correct they are false theories we know they are incorrect theories so you have to understand they are theories that their scientists they have but they are incorrect what is correct is that there is a creator who created all of this who created mankind we did not come from apes and monkeys we did not develop from them Allah created Adam as the first person, that is the correct belief. Everything else they tell you is their theories and their hypotheses and everything else they come up with, but it is not fact. So be aware of that. Then after that, we move on to the second section. So remember, we said when it comes to Tawheed, there are three main parts. First, Tawheed al-Rububiyyah. And that is to single out Allah with His actions. 
What are his actions? Giving life and death, creating, providing, sustaining, controlling the universe. All of those are the actions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Single out Allah with his actions. There is nobody else who can do that. Nobody else who gives life and death. Nobody else who can give you pregnancy. They are actions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. The second category of Tawheed is Al-Uluhiyyah. This is to single out Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with our actions. To single out Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with our actions. What are our actions? Meaning our worship that we must single out Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with our worship every form of our worship whether it is worship upon our limbs physically or it is worship upon our tongues verbally or it is worship in our hearts like love and fear and hope and trust and dependence upon Allah. Every form of worship must be singled out to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has informed us in the Qur'an telling us وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ That I did not create the jinn of the humans except for them to worship me to worship Allah to worship Allah alone, meaning to make all of your acts of worship for Allah alone. Therefore, you cannot go and make dua to the dead people in the graves. You cannot go and call upon the deceased or call upon any imam who's going to answer your dua for you, wipe on you when your dua comes true. All of these types of false beliefs that people have. You cannot do any of your dua or any of your worship, your trust or your dependence on others besides Allah. There are people out there when they can't have a baby for a long time, they go to an imam, they get told, go to him, he'll wipe on you, do a dua for you and you'll become pregnant. And they believe in that. They even get told, go to the grave of such and such an imam and make dua there or sacrifice to him. I'll give some gift to him at his grave and your dua will be answered. This is all from the false practices of the people. The religion of Tawheed, the religion that Allah sent to us, the religion that the Prophet taught us, it is a religion of Tawheed to single out Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with every form of worship. فَالْعِبَادَةِ الْمَأْمُورُ بِهَا 
تتضمن معنى الذل ومعنى الحب وهي تتضمن ثلاثة أركان المحبة والرجاء والخوف So worship that we have been commanded with it incorporates submission it has the meaning of submission and the meaning of love so our worship that we do to Allah it has three parts within it it incorporates three aspects the first love al-mahabbah that all of our worship it is done with love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala pure love for Allah secondly to al-raja hope we have our hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hoping in him for his mercy hoping that he will enter us into paradise we have hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and thirdly al-khawf fear at the same time as having hope in Allah we also have fear fearing the punishment from Allah if we fell into any wrong we fell into sin we fell into error then we fear the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inna Allah shadeedul iqab Allah is the one who is most severe in punishment so we balance out over these affairs between hope and fear love at the head of it then hope and fear that we balance between until when it comes to the time of death you're on your deathbed then you should have more hope than fear then you give more to the hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at the time of death hoping in the mercy of Allah hoping for the forgiveness from Allah you give more weight to the hope at the moment of death at the time of death otherwise there is a balance we do not go into extremes with any of these things if we went into an extreme in our love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we neglected the hope and the fear then we would end up like the Sufis the Sufiyah some of them they say we only worship Allah purely because of our love for Allah it is not about fear 
or hope, paradise, hell, forget all that. We only worship Allah purely because of our love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is incorrect. That is an exaggeration from the Sufiyyah in claiming that they don't care about paradise or hell or any of those things. It is just love for Allah we do all our worship. That is not what we've been taught in the Quran and the Sunnah. The same if a group of people went into exaggeration on fear. They exaggerated in their fear of the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Like the khawarij. The khawarij. Kharijis. That they go to an exaggeration on the fear. And that's why they say murtakibul kabirah. Khalid mukhalid finnar. That a person who dies upon a major sin without seeking forgiveness, then he'll be in the hellfire forever, they say, if you commit a major sin. But of course we know that is not true. Even a major sin you can be forgiven for. And even if you do end up in the hellfire because of a major sin, it doesn't make you a kafir. In the end, you'll be exited from the fire You'll be taken out from the fire. A major sin doesn't mean you're a kafir in the fire forever. But that is the problem of the khawarij. They went to an extreme in their fear. Then you have also on the other side those innovators who went to an extreme in their hope. And that is the murji'ah. The group known as the murji'ah. They went to an extreme in their hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they began quoting all of the texts that mention the forgiveness of Allah and that whomsoever says la ilaha illallah then he saved. So they began saying as long as you say la ilaha illallah that you're a muslim then you're saved no matter what sins you do it will not impact your iman and your iman will not decrease and that is again false we know that if you commit sins it impacts upon your iman and your iman does go down and you are in line for punishment as a consequence. So, as Ahlu Sunnah, we do not exaggerate in any one of those three. Rather, it is all three of them. Love, fear, and hope. It is like Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullahu ta'ala mentioned, that these three are like a bird. The love is the head, and the fear and the hope are the two wings. If any of them is missing, 
then the bird will not fly if the love is missing for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then the head of the bird is gone if the fear of Allah's punishment is missing then one of the wings is gone if the hope in the forgiveness and mercy of Allah is missing then the other wing is gone in order for the bird to fly then it must be upon love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and, and fear and hope balanced the believer is balanced in that when you commit a sin then you are fearful for the punishment of Allah that may occur because of that sin but at the same time you have hope in the mercy of Allah and the forgiveness of Allah for that sin that you may have committed so this ibadah this worship that we have been created for that is beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala worship this ibadah it is the objective of our existence and it is beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Allah sent the prophets and messengers for that reason with that message وَلَقَدْ بَعَثْنَا فِي كُلِّ أُمَّةٍ رَسُولًا أَنِعْبُدُ اللَّهَ وَاشْتَنِبُ الطَّاغُوتِ That indeed we sent to every nation a messenger preaching Worship your Lord alone and abstain, refrain, stay away from the false deities And this worship as we said is many different types whether it is upon the heart or upon the tongue or upon the limbs prayer, zakat, fasting, hajj various acts of worship that are mentioned they are from the pillars and then outside of the pillars there are all other forms of worship صدق الحديث وأداء الأمانة وبر الوالدين وصلة الأرحام والوفاء بالعهود والأمر بالمعروف والنهي المنكر truthfulness in your speech and fulfilling your trusts and righteousness and piety to your parents and keeping the ties of kinship and fulfilling the contracts and trusts and enjoying the good and forbidding the evil and the list goes on for the various types of worship and good deeds and ibadah and the, the righteousness that a believer does so all of this worship and all of the different types must be directed to Allah alone However, regrettably, what occurs in the Muslim Ummah is that they have become negligent of this principle in Tawheed. 
They have become negligent of their understanding of Al-Uluhiyyah. And so they do perform these acts of worship to others besides Allah. They do go and make dua to others, the dead in their graves. They do go and seek shafa'ah, intercession from others, from the dead in their graves. They seek to do various acts of worship to others besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They call upon the dead. They raise their hands, ya such and such. And they are calling upon others besides Allah. فالواجب على علماء الإسلام أن ينكروا هذا الشرك الشنيع ويبينوه للناس. So what is obligatory upon the scholars is that they reject and warn against this shirk, and they clarify to the people. Because what the Muslims are doing today in the Ummah is the same as what the Mushrikun were doing centuries ago, calling upon others besides Allah and then saying, Allah. They are our intercessors with Allah. They used to that we do not worship them except that they bring us closer to Allah. But Allah said, They are worshipping others besides Allah, those who do not benefit them, nor do they harm them. This type of Tawheed is the type of Tawheed where the opposition of the people to their prophets and messengers did occur. This is the type of Tawheed where the opposition from the people towards their prophets and messengers did occur. Because throughout history, the people did not want to single out Allah with their worship. They wanted to split their worship between Allah and their other so-called gods. As it's mentioned in the Quran, وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَتَّخِذُ مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ أَنْدَادًا يُحِبُّونَهُمْ كَحُبِّ اللَّهِ وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا أَشَدُّ حُبًّا لِلَّهِ That there are those who take partners alongside Allah and they love them as they love Allah. But the believers, their love for Allah is pure. The Mushrikun, they were not upon sincerity. They did not single out Allah with their worship. They worshipped others, they loved others alongside Allah. And that's why 
when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said to Quraysh to worship Allah alone قُولُوا لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ تُفْلِحُوا Say لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ and you will be successful they said أَجَعَلَ الْآلِهَةَ إِلَهًا وَاحِدًا إِنَّ هَذَا لَشَيْءٌ عُجَابٌ Has he made all of our gods into one? Saying there is no deity worthy of worship in truth except Allah alone? Has he made all of the gods into just one? Indeed, that is something strange. That is something unacceptable to them because they wanted to worship multiple gods. And that was the issue throughout history that the various people, they wanted to carry on worshiping their multiple different gods and did not want to single out their worship to Allah alone. Hence, the battle that occurred between the prophets and messengers and their people who opposed them, it was over al-uluhiyyah, that the prophets and messengers were telling them to abandon all of the other deities, Stop making dua to others, calling upon others. Call upon Allah alone, but they did not wish to do that. فَيَا عُلَمَاءَ الدِّينِ يَا مُلُوكَ الْمُسْلِمِينَ اي رز للإسلام أشد من الكفر وأي بلاء لهذا الدين أضر عليه من عبادة غير الله وأي مصيبة يصاب بها المسلمون تعدل هذه المصيبة وأي منكر يجب إنكاره إن لم يكن إنكار هذا الشرك البين واجبا الشيخ الفوزان then says O scholars of the religion O rulers of the Muslims kings of the Muslims what degradation upon Islam is more severe than kufr and what calamity is greater and more harmful in our religion than shirk? What calamity is more severe than worshipping others besides Allah? And what calamity can equal this calamity of shirk having fallen into the ummah? And what evil is there to be rejected greater than? The evil of shirk, if this is not to be rejected, then what is to be rejected? This is the obligation to reject this shirk and to rebuke and refute it, rebut it. لَقَدْ أَسْمَعْتَ لَوْ نَادَيْتَ حَيَّا ولكن لا حياة لمن تنادي ولو نارا نفخت بها أضاءت ولكن أنت تنفخ في رماد 
They say in some poetry that if you were calling somebody alive, they would hear you. They'd hear you if you're calling somebody alive. But there is no life to the one you are calling upon. And if it was a fire that you were blowing into, if it was a fire that you were blowing into to increase it, then it would light up. If you were stoking a fire, it would light up. But you are blowing into dust, into ashes. You are blowing into the ashes. So this is a line of poetry or some lines that sometimes they quote. It's the equivalent in English or very similar to what they say in English, banging your head against a brick wall. You know when you say you're banging your head against a brick wall, what does that mean? That you're trying to explain to somebody, you're trying to show them, but they're just not understanding or accepting anything. You're banging your head against a brick wall. This is similar. If you are calling somebody alive, they hear you, they understand. But you're calling upon somebody dead. They don't get it, they don't understand, they're not listening to you. And if you were stoking a fire, it would light up, but you're stoking ashes. They do nothing. Similar to saying you're banging your head against a brick wall with so many people now. <coughs> then the next point. Ilaqatu tawheed al-ilahiyya bi-tawheed al-rububiyya wal-aqs. What is the connection, the relationship between Tawheed al-Rububiyyah wal-Uluhiyyah? And also the other way around, what is the connection between Tawheed al-Uluhiyyah and al-Rububiyyah? So who can tell us? What is the connection between al-Rububiyyah to Uluhiyyah and al-Uluhiyyah to al-Rububiyyah? Singling out, but there's a, another connection between them, another relationship between them. Not what's in common between them, a relationship between them. So you can't affirm al-uluhiyyah without having rububiyyah so how do you explain your answer what is the relationship then that al-uluhiyyah incorporates necessitates rububiyyah there is your simple answer Al-Uluhiyyah means to single out Allah with your worship. Obviously, if you're doing that, it means you accept the rububiyyah of Allah. That Allah is the sole creator, provider, sustainer, the one deserving of worship. If you believe all of that, then that's why you are now singling your worship out to Allah. 
So al-uluhiyya, if you've got to that stage, it means it necessitates and incorporates al-rububiyyah. What about the other way around? What's the relationship of al-rububiyyah to al-uluhiyyah? Okay, that's true. In, in Arabic they say al-uluhiyyah tastilzim al-rububiyyah. But how do you say as a relationship the iraqa for al-rububiyyah to al-uluhiyyah? But, uh, but this is an example of you're explaining something with something not being there. But if you can explain with something being there, what is the connection of rububiyyah to uluhiyyah? So wait, wait, wait. The words are mixed up here. We mixed up the words. Al-uluhiyyah incorporates al-rububiyyah. That in Arabic not testalzim. That's wrong. In Arabic they say that al-uluhiyyah tatadhamman al-rububiyyah. Wal-rububiyyah testalzim al-uluhiyyah. That way. Make a correction to your notes. Al-Rububiyyah necessitates Al-Uluhiyyah. Meaning if you believe that Allah alone is the creator, Allah alone gives life and death, Allah alone controls the universe, Allah alone provides, gives life and death, Allah alone. Therefore you should be worshipping only Allah. Rububiyyah necessitates from you Al-Uluhiyyah. If you're not doing that after agreeing to rububiyyah, then it shows how misguided you are. If you believe in a rububiyyah, they, they generally did, then it necessitates from you that you should be upon uluhiyyah. How can you believe and say, yes, Allah is the sole creator, provider, sustainer, gives life and death and everything, but then you don't worship Allah alone. They weren't. That's why in the Quran, Allah gives so many examples of rububiyyah. Because all of those examples become an evidence against the mushrikun. That they believed in the rububiyyah, which necessitates al-uluhiyyah, but still they didn't do al-uluhiyyah. So al-rububiyyah, it necessitates al-uluhiyyah. Al-rububiyyah, tastalzim al-uluhiyyah. It incorporates a rububiyyah. So, make your notes correct. A rububiyyah necessitates al uluhiyyah. Al uluhiyyah incorporates a rububiyyah. What does that mean very simply? A rububiyyah necessitates al uluhiyyah, i.e., if you believe Allah is the creator, provider, sustainer, gives life and death, etc. You believe Allah alone does all of those actions. Then it necessitates from you that you should be worshipping only Allah. So Rububiyyah necessitates from you that you should be doing Uluhiyyah then. And the other way, Al-Uluhiyyah incorporates Al-Rububiyyah. If you believe in Al-Uluhiyyah, then obviously you believe in it incorporates, includes it already. So remember that relationship between al-rububiyyah to al-uluhiyyah and al-uluhiyyah to al-rububiyyah. Any questions up to there then?
If sisters have questions, write them on papers and send them. So anybody who says that the three categories of Tawheed, they weren't from the Salaf. We briefly mentioned this before. They are in the Quran and the easiest example is Al-Fatiha at the beginning and An-Nas at the end. You remember that example, we did it. So these categories are not something new. They have been found by the scholars, Al-Ulama. They found them from the Quran by following it up and checking. They noticed these categories are the ones in the Quran everywhere. So it's derived directly from the Quran and the Sunnah. The Salaf, like we mentioned, from the early three generations, there are those amongst them who mentioned these categories. For example, from the early individuals, Al-Imam Abu Hanifa, who died in 150 Hijri, born in 80 Hijri, he mentioned Al-Uluhiyyah, that word Al-Uluhiyyah, mentioned it Al-Rububiyyah, these words were noted and known by the Salaf too. So this is, nothing, some, this is not something new, it is directly from the Qur'an and the Sunnah. But refer to the previous lessons, for those who missed it, we mentioned that before. That we mentioned it last time too. Al-Hakimiyyah, how some people they add this extra category and that is not something the scholars of the Ummah have said throughout history. That is more likely the Khawarij and their likes, they want to add this category to be able to make takfir and declare Muslim rulers and Muslims to be kuffar. But these three categories are what I mentioned. That one, it comes into these categories. It's not something new or different. So this is what the scholars have mentioned, not al-hakimiyyah as a separate category. Some people, they say, studying all of these things about aqidah and tawheed, it's not really a big deal. You should go and talk about other things instead in the classes. The reality is the five pillars of Islam. The first one is the shahada. Why is the shahada the first one? Because it is the most important pillar of Islam. All of the other pillars of Islam are built upon that first pillar. If you don't do the shahada, but you pray five times a day, will you be in paradise in the afterlife? Kafir, you're a kafir. You don't do the shahada, but you fast Ramadan every year. Does it count for anything? Nothing. You don't believe in the shahada, you don't do that, but you give zakat every year. Count for anything? Nothing. You go do hajj, but you don't believe in the shahada. Count for anything? Nothing. The biggest thing, the biggest foundation of the whole religion is tawheed and aqidah. In the first decade of the revelation, it was all tawheed and aqidah. Zakat and fasting. Zakat and fasting both came when? Two years after the hijrah. The prayer just a couple of years before the hijrah, a couple of years, three years. Hajj, right at the end, just before the death of the Prophet So all of those things, the rest of the pillars came so late, the first 10 years, what came? The shahada, la ilaha illallah, explaining that. So anybody who says it's not important, you don't need to focus on it, they don't seem to understand the basis of the religion. Is a parent allowed to hit a child? Hmm. Huh? Uh -huh. Maybe this question it is for somebody especially here from the children. Somebody be messing about. Someone be naughty. 
So is it allowed to hit in this country? The law of the land is that it is not allowed to hit the children. I don't know what the law is exactly. Maybe they allow the slap on the wrist as they call it. But hitting, properly hitting, is not allowed in this country by the law of this land anyway. Islamically also, you cannot beat up a child. You cannot hit a child like that. If it was, as they say, the slap on the wrist, you know that phrase and what it means. If it's something like that, then maybe. But more than that, to be hitting properly and to be beating, that is not the way. The Prophet ﷺ never ever did anything like that. In fact, it's mentioned he would never even raise his voice with the children. Anas, who was with the Prophet ﷺ for so long from a young child age, he said the Prophet ﷺ never got angry with me even when I used to do something wrong. That's the type of behavior you want to show your kids. And the kids need to understand. They need to behave properly to their parents. So hitting is not correct like that. Beating is not correct like that. But the small slap on the wrist may be. But it does depend on the law of the land too. If the law of the land, whatever it stipulates, you have to follow that too. You do have to follow that too. All right, we'll round off on that for tonight. Next week is off. No class next week. Uh, Saturday is going to be the day of Arafah. So everybody should be fasting on that day. A great opportunity for the great reward for fasting on Saturday next week. There is, of course, a difference of opinion about Saturdays. Some scholars may hold the opinion that you're not supposed to fast on a Saturday, even if it's the day of Arafah. But many of the scholars have mentioned their evidences that it's permissible for the sake of those particular days like Arafah, etc. So inshallah ta'ala, it is correct and it is allowed to fast on that day. So you should fast next week. The class is off anyway. Uh, and we'll be carrying on in two weeks time inshallah ta'ala.